Now that you're, you've been on Rogan, there's a very good chance mm-hmm. that you're going to, I don't know, get a movie deal or you're going to write a book like 15 rules for dweebs or something. And you'll yeah. be the biggest thing since sliced bread. Uh, Barry Weiss yeah. is going to uh, adopt you as a child. <laughs> Who knows what will happen next? <laughs> so, well, that'd, be, that'd be an interesting twist. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs, we don't we see... We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Diet Soap is a Sublation Media podcast. Ben Burgess, he's a big shot. He's back on the show. Uh, You know, he wrote books for zero books. Uh, Give them an argument. Um, uh, Christopher Hitchens is God. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, I I hate all leftists. You're all too woke. That was the other title. Yeah, uh, those are those are those are the three books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you decided to to betray us all by going on the fascist Joe Rogan's podcast. That's correct. Um, yeah. um, no, I watched some of that. It was it was it was good. It you know it it was a pretty typical Joe Rogan podcast. He he gave you some booze at the start. How was it? Did you have a nice time? Oh yeah, no, I had a great time. I mean, whatever. I got to I got to spend three hours drinking bourbon with the news radio guy and talking about socialism. Why wouldn't I like that? Right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but what I I, sh- I, I should I should say too that those three books that you mentioned, the Christopher Hitchens is God, I hate the left, and uh, give them an argument. I guess that one doesn't have a new name. Uh, that, right. uh, <laughs> I was the most involved with that one, so I that one gets to keep its name. Uh, I sh- I should say. Um, we should probably too, you know, we should probably explain to the viewers that uh, even though Doug has his own publishing enterprise now, since he was involved at the time, all three of those books came out. Part of the royalties still go to him. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. You should buy all of his books, <laughs> multiple copies. Send send them to your friends. I'm very excited. Um, why didn't you bring a copy of your book to hold up? When you were at the Joe Rogan experience, he asked you, you have a copy with you? And you like, you held up Adolf Reed's book. Was it, wait, did Adolf slip you some money before you went <laughs> on? on? Uh, to be honest, I had left my hotel room and gone to like find a breakfast burrito in Austin before I went to the studio. And I just had that book with me because I was reading it. And then I ended up um, like getting like the, the, the car to take me to the studio was already there by the time I got back. So that's just what I had on me, you know. Although, oh, so you didn't have time. Although, although I will say, I, I actually don't, you know, since I am, I am a huge Adolf Reed fan. Uh, um, it was not planned at all, but I'm not unhappy that I got to tell, you know, however many people, you know, listen to to Joe Rogan, you know, about him. Well, I thought that you did a, a fine job on Joe Joe's podcast. I don't think you convinced him that uh, the socialists, like the Democratic Socialists of America, aren't really. A bunch of nerds and wankers. Um, by the well, end. you know, it's 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 tricky because uh, you know, speaking as a DSA member, um, 
I am not going to die on the hill of denying that there are nerds and wankers in the mix. You know, that that's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's certainly true. I mean, what I would, what I would say is that I think that it's, it's the, um, you know, you, you kind of have to, uh, you know, go to war with the army that you have, and and that there are a lot of there are a lot of people who are not nerds or wankers in, uh, in DSA, and that that and and that they're you know there and if there are more right that can only that can only be good, and if somebody else like starts a you know alternative organization that gets even bigger and like you know pursues the sorts of things I find valuable about it, then great. I mean, organizations are just tools, but. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I did. I did take the opportunity, you know, because I saw I've gotten like sixteen hundred new Twitter followers since I uh, since I went on to, you know, to to do a little post saying, you know, saying I would I would encourage people, you know, I had like three things, and one of them was, you know, was was it's imperfect, but I would still encourage people to to join DSA. The other one was like, um, uh, buy my should, book. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd already, I already kind of talked about that at Joe, and that was the the, the pin tweets. The, you know, the other ones were like subscribe to Jacobin and like start a union at your workplace. But you know, just could have like, could have mentioned sublation. You could have you could have <laughs> done that. Um, no, this is this is good. So the, uh, you were actually on two. I mean, you've been on a bunch of podcasts, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. from my perspective, you've been on two important podcasts recently: the Joe Rogan Experience and the Bob Wright Show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I know the Bob Wright show is much smaller, probably. Uh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was fun talking to him. I like, I like that guy. Yeah. Um, and I thought uh, of the two uh, podcasters, Bob Wright gave you a lot rougher time than I Joe mean, did. That's you know, <laughs> yeah. not exactly not in character for either of those guys. <laughs> right. Um, um, but did, I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about that. Talk about your Christopher Hitchens sure. book. Yeah. Because. Um, Look, Bob Wright is a curmudgeon now. I don't think he's always been a curmudgeon, but he's gotten to the age where he can be that. And um, I watch the uh, Bob Wright and, and Mickey Kouse like mm-hmm. weekly, um, and I know a few things about him. One is that uh, he's very strong in his opinions, and the second is that he doesn't like Bob Dylan. <laughs> like he thinks Bob Dylan is overrated. Yeah, well, if that had come up, it would have been a much more contentious conversation. Like, yeah. you know, as as it was, we were just talking about Christopher Hitchens, who I have famously mixed feelings about. I mean, that's a lot of why I wrote the book. Yeah, but I think that not liking Christopher Hitchens, like d- downplaying the significance of Christopher Hitchens, yeah. to the degree that he did. Yeah, is, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's a, kind of yeah. par with with saying that Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so, which doesn't mean he's wrong. Sure, it could sure, be that sure, Bob sure. Dylan's overrated, right? Sure, it could sure, be that sure. Christopher Hitchens. Sure. Is yeah, but they but these are these are both these are both pretty hot takes. Yeah, those are hot takes. Yeah. So uh-huh. um but but just to, for people who didn't yeah. watch the Bob Wright sure. uh, podcast, the, the claim that he made was that Hitchens, in a debate specifically with Bob Wright, mm-hmm. used such spe- specious logic, is such a such a terrible argument with such a sophist. Mm-hmm. That he exposed himself to not be a serious public intellectual. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I mean, look, I I watched that debate. I actually did a review of it on my on my YouTube mm-hmm. channel, which is I think how you know how right like sort of uh, thought till he talked to me about this stuff. And um, I mean, I sort of think he's half right. I mean, like I think that the I think that the idea that this is like 
you know, exposing that there's nothing there or whatever. I think that's wrong. You know, I, I think that the, I think that the part that's right though, is that like, um, Hitchens definitely did bomb that particular debate. I mean, that's like one of the worst debate performances I've ever seen from him since he, I, I, I think what it comes down to is he didn't like research Bob's position the way that he should have, you know, before, mm-hmm. uh, before, before talking to him. Uh, and I, my sense of what happened there is that like, this is a period of his life where, Hitchens was doing like a thousand debates with religious people and most of them he was pretty good. Uh, but like in this, you know, I don't, I think he, it, it was weird. It was like, he almost, he almost like kept forgetting what, what Bob's position was, you know, and like started mm-hmm. saying things that would be like an attack on the position that he clearly didn't hold. Right. You know, which I don't think is like, I mean, I don't, I, I, I think, I don't think I'm letting my, you know, affection you know affection for my you know complicated you know problematic faith here um cloud by judgment i think this is what i would say if it was anybody i mean if if i was like watching you know whatever like william f buckley have a terrible debate or something right you know that Mm -hmm. like i i just i just think that he wasn't i just think that he wasn't really prepared and that like he he didn't i don't think it like exposes deep intellectual bankruptcy i think that he he was just kind of thrown for a loop and he didn't know what to say well, yeah, I just remember what Bob Wright said to you when you gave that answer, which was, yeah, uh, yeah but but the argument we were having was central to the book. He wrote a whole book. It wasn't a tweet. It wasn't no, an I mean, essay. No, I mean, it was. On the argument, just to go over it for sure, sure, watch sure. It. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the argument was basically that religion and religious people have done more harm to the world than good. And that overall, religion is always, uh, or, or as you know, when measured, I don't know, in some hedonistic calculus, always uh, does harm. And uh, so, but I think Bob asked him, you know, gave some counterexamples. Yeah. Like what about what about the Martin Luther King, who was a religious man, and uh, you know, uh, he could Stalin, who mm-hmm. was an atheist. But yeah. but the the main one was just that there are examples of religious thinking and religious people who do great good in the world, right? Yeah. Do, not, do you do you read the God is not great? I have not read the God God is not great. I just all I do nowadays is watch podcasts. So I don't I don't I haven't okay. read that. Okay, so I guess my take on this is that. Um, you know, it's like there are parts of that book that I like. There are parts of it I think are silly. I think that uh, I think one big problem with it is that the thesis is a little ambiguous, right? So if because there's a strong way to read it, in which case, like you know, Bob is clearly like a hundred percent right, right? You know, and and there's and I think there's a way to read it that's not so weak that it's uninteresting, uh, but that would be. Um, that like Bob's critique would be less relevant, but then if that's the way you read it, then like Hitchens doesn't need to die in some of the hills that he's dying on in that debate, you know, or, or for that matter of the book. Right. So like, cause mm-hmm. in other words, I think a lot of what Hitchens said in this period and like a lot of, you know, I mean, there's a whole chunk in my book where I'm like criticizing um, his, his views about religion and, you know, in the new atheist period and, you know, it's not a hundred percent the same, but there's certainly considerable overlap, right, between like the, the things that Bob has a problem with and the things that I do. Um, I think that um, there are a lot of statements that Hitchens made that suggest that his his thesis was that religion was a net negative, right? That the that it like led to more harm than good. 
which I mean, that itself is really complicated and hard to hard to adjudicate, right? Mm-hmm, right. And uh, but um, but I think that's like a a not crazy thing to like assert and defend. Whereas uh, the whereas like it's a uniform good, right? You know, there are like no local contexts in, in, in which it's a good thing is just like a silly claim, right? And and then mm-hmm. and part of the problem is that Hitchens often like his formulations about it often suggest that he's saying the first thing, but then he ends up defending like just some nonsensical positions uh, that he would only have to, if he were arguing for, for this, mm-hmm. the second thing, like um, that, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, isn't really a good counterexample because like, we don't know like what was going on in his head or whatever. It's like, okay, well, if we're going to play that game, right, there are no examples or counterexamples, right? You know, we just, Mm -hmm. you know, we just have to disregard it all equally and, you know, and and the negative examples as much as the positive ones. Uh, And, and he also has on the, on the Stalin side, I think he also, I mean, it's maybe a little bit more sophisticated than that, but it's, it's, it's definitely not fully satisfying, but also like, especially on the Stalin one, like, why is he bothering, right? Like, because like, like, even if you read him as saying religion is always negative, okay, fine. Like, that doesn't mean know, other things aren't. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, he mm. he says many times that other things are also negative, right? So, so why is he like taking on this argument that like actually Stalin's crimes are like partially the fault, you know, or of religion, re- religion? When like he could just say like, yeah, sure. I mean, Stalinism is bad. You know, Christianity is bad. Lots of things could be bad. Like, which which would be the reasonable thing for him to do? I mean, I think that part of this uh, might be a personality flaw, which is just that he was an incredibly stubborn person, and like he he just didn't. So I think sometimes he just didn't concede things that mm-hmm. he should have conceded. Uh, because like he didn't need them for his argument, but like he he just he just like didn't want to he just like didn't want to admit that like you know people he was arguing with could have a good point like like that's I think that's definitely a flaw in um, in Hitchens' character and I mean it's even like it even does relate to the bigger stuff that I talk about in the book because I think that he probably would have given up on his leftist politics earlier than he did if not for just kind of a sense of stubbornness right you know that he didn't he didn't want to. He didn't want to let, like, you know, the this, you know, sort of normies who thought it was weird that he would call himself a socialist win. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I uh, have a question about Hitchens' Marxism mm-hmm. that comes out of mm-hmm. this. It's like this was touched mm-hmm. on in the conversation with Bob Wright as well. Um, and it's funny that I mean, Bob Wright, who's not a Marxist, kind of yep. cottoned on to this. Is that the whole new atheist movement to me seems to be like a? I'll put it in platypoid kind of mm. language is a regression right mm-hmm. uh um from a marxist perspective which hitchens was supposed to have he he called mm-hmm. himself a marxist mm-hmm. uh into i don't know uh a young hegelian like mm-hmm. feuerbachian perspective you know the the if you've read the 11 theses on feuerbach then you know why it's not necessary or helpful necessary not not usually not helpful to critique religion as religion to try to stamp out religious ideologies from people's heads that mm-hmm. um in that in that document marx points out that the religious ideas are born out of the material conditions of the time and that they, you know, that basically the heavens is a mirror image of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if you want to change 
people's religious conceptions, and then you need to remove and alter the material conditions that make those religious conceptions seem necessary or have a function. Yeah, I mean, this this is also what Marx pretty much says in On the Jewish Question and in the introduction of the critique, the philosophy of right. That and like, in the German ideology, he goes on and on yeah. on this topic, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that uh, – so I think Marx's picture is um, – and there's, there's part of this that I think Marx is wrong about, but I think there's part of it he's definitely right about, right? I think Marx's picture is one, like Gia Cohen has a really helpful analogy for for helping understand this, that he thinks that, um, that well, I mean, Marx thinks this about a lot of kinds of ideology, but definitely thinks about religion, that, mm-hmm. uh, that religious delusions, and I mean, he is still, you know, despite all this, I mean, he is still like a super duper strident atheist, right? You know, right, so, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, religious delusions, as he would see them are, um, you know, he thinks are more like uh, mirages than hallucinations, you know, that, that like, you don't, you don't stop, you know, you see a mirage in the desert, like understanding intellectually that it's a mirage doesn't stop you from, from seeing it, you know, that the, uh, that mm. like, uh, so the analogy would be something like the sort of like psychological pull of, of religious belief, you know, in, in a, in a sort of broken world is, is not going to go, you know, not going to go away just because, you know, cause he even says like introduction critique of philosophy of right, you know, all criticism starts with criticism of religion. He does seem to see some value in like intellectually criticizing religion, but he definitely thinks that like widespread religious belief isn't going to go away just because like intellectuals are criticizing religion. He thinks that you need to change the conditions that are, that are creating this, this, uh, this mirage. And, and I should say, by the way, the part of it that I find, even though, um, there is a critique of Hitchens on religion very much along those lines that I give in the, uh, the second chapter of the book. Um, I think the the part of all this actually that I'm least convinced by is the idea that in like, even like the most, you know, unimaginably advanced Doug Lane approved communist society that we could imagine uh, that, that religious belief would go away. I don't think it would. <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that like, um, you know, there are, I think that like, the kinds of suffering that's caused by, you know, economic and social, you know, circumstances certainly contributes to it. But I also think that like, you know, I mean, especially this kind of hanging over the book a lot that like I wrote it at this time in my life when like between Michael Brooks and stayed inside for a, for a year because of COVID and mm. other, you know, bad things that, you know, that happen to people that I care about in that time period. Like this is probably the time in my life that I've like spent, the most time since I was a little kid thinking about death is like the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it certainly hasn't turned me into a religious believer, but like it, it has made this sort of issue much more alive to me. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, I, I tend to think that like, as long as people like know they're going to die and uh, that, that like there's, there is going to be some psychological appeal to religious belief. And I actually kind of agree with the, uh, Lillian Sikertia, who told me that she thought that like it's possible that under socialism, because people have so much free more free time and kind of resources to arrange their lives how they want to, that like not only will religion persist, it'll probably get way weirder. Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by religion, right? Mm-hmm. Why is it that Marx says that all social critique begins with religious criticism of religion? It's not because he uh, is against speculation about the origins of the universe. Mm-hmm. 
or that he is opposed to people who might be um, philosophically aligned with panpsychism or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Let's say, oh, the whole universe is made of mind. Which, um, which, 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 which was kind of Ingalls' late view, I think. Yeah, right. It's because he thinks that religious institutions and those kinds of beliefs shape the social relations of society mm-hmm. and that a belief in a God or a, a, an ultimate origin or a, some sort of metaphysical or theological system will is used to justify hierarchical relations on earth. Mm-hmm. Is that that role that religion plays um, in society, the way that it is used to justify our social organization mm-hmm. that, that is that pushes us to critique religion mm-hmm. because these are beliefs that's, that at the very best are highly highly speculative yeah right right it's not that they are um you know uh, uh completely wrong mm-hmm. right i mean that in so much as then neither is um thales completely wrong mm-hmm. when he says everything's made of water yeah, right. only about ten percent wrong. He's like, no, I think he's. Um, I don't know. I don't know how what percentage of things. Yeah, are yeah, made I, of I water. don't know. <laughs> but, but I have, I have that, no idea. But yeah, but yeah, but the point is, like, Thales isn't completely wrong mm-hmm. to ask the question of what are what is it to exist? Mm-hmm. What is the common element or the substance of the universe really? Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a a useful philosophical question, but it doesn't. His answer is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So. Like I don't know, I I think under communism, religion becomes philosophy, maybe or the or yeah. I mean, to a point. I mean, I think that like you could, because I mean, I think it's not just that we find it interesting to speculate about metaphysics, but also I think like uh, probably religion as like a sort of comprehensive set of like. you know, emotionally powerful symbols that are, that are linked to, you know, to, to, you know, the, you know, hope for, for, you know, another life after this one that that's, that like gives you might, you know, sort of help you make sense of the chaos of life, you know, that like might be more powerful, you know, precisely because, you know, it's it, in many cases like linked to, to, to longstanding, you know, tradition. Like I, I, I just, again, I, in some sense, it might be unknowable. My suspicion, which which doesn't you know, which doesn't make me particularly happy. Which oddly enough, like Hitchens has moments where he says stuff like this, and then it's like, okay, but then what are you doing, right? Like uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, that like it just might just like the sources of that might be like deep enough in human psychology that we're going to get something that's like pretty close to religion as it currently exists um or or at least like has a lot of the features that make religion not just speculative philosophy in in any future society right i mean there's certainly it certainly wouldn't be the case that any religion that existed in the future would be like justifying capitalist property relations but you know then again you know it wasn't in the past either right exactly what Catholicism was originally right right? right, exactly yeah i sometimes get confused about just what christianity does today like like i i kind of uh have this vague notion of how christianity functioned under feudalism mm-hmm. you know like it's very simple narrative about what it was about and but like today what is what is what are these christian churches about what are they justifying they're not justifying 
the kinds of social relations that you would hear described in the Bible. No, right? no, certainly yeah. not. Yeah, so it's weird. But I, I want to ask you a different question, but okay, we can go okay, back okay. to this. Yeah. The Denial of Death. Have you yeah, ever read yeah. Ernest Becker's book, The Denial uh, no, of I, Death? No, I've, I've read that book now. Oh, okay, because he is—he was a kind of Freudian, mm-hmm. uh, but he was a so- sociologist and literary critic. And he, um, his book, *The Denial of Death*, which was published in the early seventies, and he died like shortly after it was published. Yeah. Ironically, um, it was all about how uh, life is an existential struggle that most of our psychological troubles arise from our understanding of our mortality. Yeah. Um, and that even sociological ones arise from there as well. For instance, co- like conflicts mm-hmm. uh, between nations might be about how we have culturally we have in, we're invested in cultural symbols that or hero systems that give us a sense of immortality. And when we encounter people in cultures that are have different hero systems, that comes into an existential crisis or existential conflict. Um, and his solution for how to escape uh, neurosis and psychosis uh, as a human being that would, is doomed to die mm-hmm. is become a Christian. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I mean, I I don't I don't discount what you're saying, but I just yeah. think it's still worthwhile. I'm not a complete I'm not completely on board with Becker either. Sure. Uh, um, and I, especially when it becomes a way to address social and political con- conflicts because there's like a new school of yeah. Becker related psychiatry or psychology where yeah. what they do is they're kind con- con- it's called terror management therapy. So they're trying to manage people's existential dread so that they can be better liberal subjects and, <laughs> and it's more accepting of other people at the more diverse uh, cultures. Um, which, which, so, which, which, which is tricky, right? Cause like, okay, I certainly don't want that, but the, um, I, I mean, you know, whatever I, I want people to accept. I like these cultures. guys. I mean, sure, they're worth like, talking to, but I don't think they're completely right. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I, I want people to, um, you know, obviously I want people to be liberal in that sense. They're accepting other cultures. I mean, I, I don't want them to accept the right. social conditions that they have around them, but like, then this is one thing that's tricky. Um, and and it's kind of funny because I think actually from the last few minutes of conversation, right? I mean, somebody might like really guess wrong about my, you know, my own views about some of this stuff, you know, that like, mm-hmm. uh, cause that like, that might read me as like a really like sort of like um, really benign hippie agnostic, you know, which is not at all what I think, you know, that the, mm-hmm. uh, that like, um, but I think that uh, I'm more like that than you are. Yeah, no, I'm you're, more- for, you're, you're for sure more <laughs> like that than I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess you know. So on the one hand, but like, so even though the sort of religious, you know, solution to existential dread isn't one that that I'm 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 interested in, and you know, it's one that a lot of ways I'm critical of. I guess one thing that like the last couple of years have re- has really sharpened for me is that the existential dread itself, you know, I take more seriously, you know, that the, uh, that like, I think that, okay. Can religion and religious like beliefs make people, you know, too quietistic about like unjust social conditions for sure. Right. They can't, hmm. but 
like that's not you know they could also like make you um just like come to terms with stuff that's just built into being a human being and like whether or not you like that way of doing it right you know which which again in some ways i do not i i think that um I, I think that it's a real mistake to like just reduce it to the issue of uh, the of of the the social conditions, right? You know that that like I was talking to uh, Gregory Sadler's his name, I think he uh, mm-hmm. he's a philosophy YouTube guy, and mm-hmm. uh, and I interviewed him partially you know, about stoicism, and you know this is something I talked about there because like you can make the same. You know, like a lot of the sort of you know, open to the people who critiques you can make religion. You know, you can make there too. And but and and I did sort of like raise that, right? You know, that this is something like kind of teaching people to just sort of like you know, let go and accept you know what's going on around them. You know, it could be like really bad from the perspective of trying to get a better society. But at the same time, like I don't know that all that stoic stuff is bad advice just for like being a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, um, I, yeah. I, ultimately, being a stoic on a day to day level, accepting the reality as it is on a day to day level, not expecting that you're going to be able to change anything overnight, and um, and not feeling personal anguish mm-hmm. all the time about the state of the world. That is, I think, all for the good. But just like yeah. as a stoic. Um, you know, it's still uh, maybe like the, the most stoic thing you can do is try to calculate how to make things better and take the risk of, uh, of an action that might change things without being emotionally or narcissistically invested in the outcome, but just as you can imagine, I I actually like that very much. All right. You're back. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I like that last thing you said very much because I think it actually, uh, ties together some of the preoccupations of the both of the last two books uh, in an interesting way. But but I should it, it does occur to me that it might not be it might be a good idea to like go back and say like two minutes about what I say about all this in the book. Yeah. Okay. From on the in the Hitchens book. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go uh, ahead. So okay. So I think that like I I am. Uh, in that second chapter of the book, I'm talking about um, a lot of, and kind of at the end of the first chapter, about the new atheist years and, and um, Hitchens' general analysis of religion and, and the sort of polemics and debates he get into about the relationship between religion and morality. And uh, as you might imagine, given my views, I'm much tougher about his typical opponents in those debates than I am on, on him. Right. You know, cause I think they were like much more wrong than he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do, I do make this criticism in there uh, that essentially, I mean, this is, this, is, you know, you, you kind of said this earlier with the young Hegelian thing, you know, but like, like essentially they, the problem is, and the interesting contradiction in Hitchens's views is that, as you said, you know, he, he, said he was a Marxist and like, and not just in the sense of, you know, subscribing to the sort of normative political program that people typically associate with Marxism, uh, but really specifically in the sense of like subscribing to Marxist theory of history. In fact, uh, even after he abandoned the normative political program, he still, he still 
made a point of saying that he that he accepted the the theory of history uh and in fact like in his exchange like post 9 11 you know exchange with norman finkelstein um he goes out of his way to 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 defend historical materialism he he cites uh, a book about historical materialism i know really well you know which is the cohen one i mentioned earlier uh and you know in his last years, he'd sometimes say things like playfully, like I'm a very conservative Marxist, by which I take it he meant that he he wasn't, uh, you know, he was like he wasn't on board with uh, socialism as an ongoing political program. I think there are reasons for that or, you know, I, I think he might have been in a state of flux about some of his views about that. Uh, but, you know, but one thing is clear that he didn't think was that that was like on the table historically at this mm. at this point. Right. He thought it was mm. over. Uh, but nevertheless, he thought that like as a sort of overarching view of, of human history, it was like the best way to understand that. And I'm sure that he was sincere about that because I mean, who the fuck was he pandering to, right? You know, by, by saying that, right. I mean, like, 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 like nobody, right. Like that, that's mm-hmm. the idea that there's some audience of people who will be like, well, I disagree with him about Iraq, but like, at least he agrees with historical materialism, you know, like that, <laughs> right. you know, that, that, that might exist today. It certainly didn't exist then. I don't think it really exists today. No, I don't think it really exists today. And it damn for sure did not exist then. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, like, I think he was like probably the single person in the world, most sympathetic to, you know, that combination of views. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that what's, so I think he was totally sincere about it, but I also think that there were like there was this big contradiction within that, which mm-hmm. is that okay, so for decades, you know, he had been, you know, thinking about things this way, and he was still on some level intellectually convinced, but then a lot of the other things he said just didn't make sense given that. And I, I think unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if he'd had a lot more debates like the one he had with Bob Wright, you know, like 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 he would have had to grapple with this more. Mm-hmm. Uh because the issue is about causation, and there is a way that I think technically you can reconcile some of what he says about this with what I'm about to say. I did a debate breakdown a couple of weeks ago with Mark Warren and Ryan Lake of this debate that Hitchens and Stephen Fry were in with a uh, uh, with a, like a Catholic Archbishop and a Tory MP about whether the Catholic Church was a force for good in the world, and. If you watch that, you can see like Mark and Ryan arguing that like I'm I'm being too uh, that there's like a more charitable read of some of this that I that I'm giving, but I'm going to give go ahead and give the uncharitable one anyway. So I, I think that um, that the problem is this seems to this seems to just be like an idealist view of history, right? I mean, is is it really that like religion is poisoning everything, or or is it that certain you know economic and social structures are are poisoning things and that religion is certainly used as rationalization for that. But one of the points I make in the book is that if you, you know, accept anything like a historical materialist framework, you know, even a very like, you know, loose version of it where, you know, you, you, you know, like you're not dogmatic about it or whatever, like anything that would still recognizably be called materialism, you know, you're, you're really emphasizing in your view of how history works the expansion of human productive forces and the ways that, um, and the ways that going along with that, uh, the, uh, the, the relations of production, you know, change over time and, you know, and, and then the ways that that in, in turn informs the, the kind of legal and political uh, superstructure that you have. I think that 
okay, imagine that uh, the Emperor Constantine had never converted to Christianity, and so Christianity couldn't have been the justifying ideology of European feudalism. Well, whatever was certainly wouldn't have been anything like the nice liberal pluralistic secularism that mm-hmm. Christopher Hitchens liked and, you know, whatever we like. You know, and I it, think if you're Hegelian, actually, you would argue that without Christianity, that mm-hmm. nice secular liberal ideology would never would, come into being in the first developed. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that that you know the the, the Eagles philosophy sees this sort of unfolding of understanding, including Christianity and and religion, and uh, you know there's some debate whether or not Hegel ever overcame his Christianity or not. You know there's different interpretations of Hegel, but but um, yeah, I uh, I I think that from the historical materialist perspective, especially if you're teleological about it and think there's some sort of maybe looping spiraling movement towards mm-hmm. uh, uh the absolute of self-understanding mm-hmm. um you definitely have to see the stages that came before as necessary and as useful yeah so so like if that's right then not only you know not only is this not materialist it's 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 not even um it's not even hegelian idealism it's some other less interesting kind of idealism right yeah uh, yeah, no, I, I think there's, I think there's definitely something there. Uh, so, and, and I think there is a link maybe between that and the contemporary political issue, which, you know, so there was a, um, you know, review of the book in Quillette by somebody who, you know, was extremely hostile. And I, I do think like, you know, misunderstood a lot of, a lot of the, the claims Some that were. Hitchens Stan who thought you were too yeah, yeah. critical. Yeah, exactly. Which is actually one of the things I've got to say that it shouldn't have. If anybody asked me and had thought about it for thirty seconds, I'd say, "Yeah, of course this will happen." But I, I have to admit, it did surprise me a little bit that I'd sort of forgotten how many totally unreconstructed late Hitchens fanboys were still walking around to like <laughs> right, right. think that like Christopher Hitchens was right about everything in two thousand nine. Yeah, you, ex- <laughs> you expected to be canceled from the far left for daring to try to revive Hitchens. Right. From- yeah, and whereas, like, yeah, by far the most vociferous criticism has been the opposite direction that, like, mm. I'm speaking too ill of the man. But I, I think mm. um, so, and you know, the, he pointed out that on this point, you know, Hitchens said things that are, you know, that are not like this. Although I don't think that that meant he didn't say the things I'm objecting to. I think that that just meant there's some tensions within his views and practice, which is not, you know, uncommon. Mm. But um, but I think that Hitchens tended to read the political valence of of religion and irreligion in in an oversimplified way right that that he had uh that in other words um i think he underestimated the potential of this kind of set of cultural symbolism to be you know appropriated in all sorts of different directions, you know, some of which we don't like and some of which we do like, mm. uh, which I think is just clearly, I mean, it clearly is capacious enough that that can happen, right? There's plenty of, there's plenty of evidence for that. Mm. Uh, and related to that, right. I, th- I think he, I think he probably thought that, um, you know, making people irreligious was going to be, you know, better for their politics than, than I think we know, you know, that, that it's necessarily, you know, going to, to be right. You know, that in other words, you know, I think there's a certain conception of atheism as like a movement 
that doesn't make sense to me politically in a way that I think at least sort of echoes what we've been saying about the history. When did the new atheists come on the scene? Uh, so it was in the, it was in like, uh, I think that it, it really started to blow up in like kind of midway through the, the second term of George W. Bush. And I think that the, and I've spent some time thinking about this. I think part of the reason that new atheism was a thing then in a way is that it really hasn't been since then, you know, there, there, there's still a sort of shadow form that exists, but like, it doesn't have the hold on the cultural imagination that it did. And like, you know, 2009 or whatever, when uh, all the, you know, four horsemen, you know, uh, Dawkins, Dennett, Hitchens and Harris, you know, were superstars for their anti-religious stuff. When like family guy would do jokes where like Brian meets one of his girlfriends, cause they're both reaching for Dawkins as the God delusion at the mm-hmm. same time at the, uh, at the bookstore um, or like, I, you know, whatever, all of this, all of these are just like old man references, but, uh, like the, um, God, it's you know, hard to, for me to believe as an actual close to old man that 2009 is now an old man reference, but go on. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I keep, I keep interacting with people who, who don't remember any of this. It always makes me sad, but, uh, not cause mm-hmm. I think any of the stuff I mentioned particularly deserves to be remembered, but just cause like it, it, it just messes with my sense of chronology, but, mm-hmm. uh, but like um, I was, just, you know, like like six feet under, like if you remember, like some of the the religion stuff in there. Uh, so I think that the reason it made sense then, and I do think that a lot of the left slightly misremembers this history, uh, not completely, right? It's like Thales, you know, but partially uh, misremembers it because I think that because a lot of people who were like new atheism fans in the two late two thousands, not all of them, maybe not even most of them, but because a recognizable chunk of them have gone in like super duper reactionary directions since then, or at the very least, like, you know, very unpleasantly IDW ish directions. Mm -hmm. uh, I I think a lot of people sort of read it with hindsight and read that into that cultural moment in the late two thousands. And and I think they really overestimate the extent to which new atheism was uh, about Islamophobia. Which I was is just not- going to raise, this is what I was about to raise. I mean, you're getting to what I was about to raise, which is, it seems to me that it came up, that uh, the new atheist movement was born out of 9-11, out of uh, a fear of, of the war, of, of, of the uh, of uh uh, the Islamic war on the West, you know? Um, yeah, I think, that, that, I think that was part of it. I think yeah. that the, so again, I think Islamophobia was definitely in the mix, mm-hmm. but I, I think that what a lot of people really miss when they look back on it was the extent to which in the culture wars as they existed in the late 2000s, like what new atheism was, was like the militant vanguard of Team Blue in the culture wars. That 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 was that was that was the point, and I I I certainly think that part of how people got into this mindset where this seemed like quite so much of a burning issue to them is for sure nine eleven and and the fact that Al Qaeda style uh, religious extremist terrorism was like much more on people's minds then than it is now, right? It, mm-hmm. it you know took up way more space in their heads, uh, and that's definitely part of it. But another part of it is that there was you know that like. George W. Bush was president and, and liberal America was like really scared of the evangelicals that, right. uh, and, and that was a huge part of it. And like, yeah, it, but, but the nice thing with new atheism was it gave centrist liberal uh, Democrats a way to be for the invasion of Iraq without having to 
jump in bed with the crazy white right wing Christians that were supporting George W. Bush, right? It, yeah, it, I mean, I think it certainly of... did serve that purpose for some people. I mean, I think in some ways it served that purpose for Christopher Hitchens, like even though like I, I sort of provide the receipts of my book, you know, he didn't, there's nothing that he started, he was saying in the late two thousands that he hadn't been saying his whole life. He just hadn't emphasized it. Right. Uh, in the late two thousands, he started emphasizing it. And I think it's entirely psychologically plausible that like, that's part of why, because he, he was in bed with these people on foreign policy and he probably, you know, he probably felt more comfortable with his role in the world if, if he was spending a lot of time fighting with them, you know, uh, that, uh, and so, you know, if, and you can like transfer that to the, to heaven, you know, I mean, if they were, if they're agreeing too much on earth, although, which is not to say there were tremendous disagreements on domestic social policy. And it's not even to say in Hitchens's particular case, um, I think his foreign policy views were like a weird, messy combination of this of stuff that you would think given what he thought about Iraq and stuff that didn't fit with that at all because he was definitely evolving, you know, it's time that he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think um so I think that yeah, I think Islamophobia is definitely part of it, but I think that I also think that we underestimate when we're looking back on it how many people were fans of of new atheism who were horrified by the the Iraq war. I, I think my guess, I don't have any polling data about this. I could be wrong. I could be too influenced by like my memories anecdotally of my friend group or whatever. But my suspicion is that probably the majority of people who liked what Hitchens said about religion did not like what he said about Iraq, that they might've supported the war in Afghanistan, maybe even right. You know, but probably not Iraq. In fact, the other, uh, none of the other four horsemen were even quite with him on that. Although some came close, uh, like, like I think Harris was sort of Weasley and, you know, and, and unclear in his, mm-hmm. his position on Iraq and had some terrible super reactionary general he, war. Sam war Harris wanted position. to avoid the war by torturing all the Muslims. I was just going to say, though, like, I, I also think like the fact that in the 2000s, there were still these battles going on about like intelligent design and in, in the schools, which in retrospect, mm. that was like a sort of um, th- this was like the last stand of, of that stuff. Like rather, mm. you know, but like, I think a lot of liberal America perceived it as like they were under siege uh, mm. from, from this rather than that. They were like fighting like mop up operations, you know, for a war that they basically won. Uh, gay marriage was a big issue. I, I mean, I think that if you, I think that, the way that right now the typical sort of militant liberals anxiety about the right is that they're racist and fascist. Uh, and I'm not saying that wasn't part of the mix of like, of like anxieties about the right liberal America had in the late two thousands. But I think that person would probably be more like um, they're crazy theocrats and uh, who who want to you know bad abortion to put gay people in the closet and and in many cases that was even linked to like the fact that like Bush was starting this crazy war and all that stuff. I mean it was all sort of part of mm. one big perception mm-hmm. of um, of what was going on. And I think new atheism stopped making like and even back then, right? I mean I liked a lot of the things that I, I still like a lot of the things that Hitchens said in those religion debates. But I think that. Um, you know, I do have the social media proof that, uh, you know, if you look at my old Facebook posts, that like atheism is like a sort of quasi-political movement never made sense to me mm. uh, in, in the late 2000s. I mean, I was, I was too much of an old school socialist for that. But 
but I think in a general cultural way, I think it felt like it makes sense because of where the culture wars were there at the time. Whereas I think by not that many years after Hitchens had died, uh, the culture war had shifted so much that like it just didn't make like people who were sort of on the same team in the in the religion culture wars were not necessarily going to be on the same team anymore. And it, it just like people got mad about different issues and they drifted in different directions. And so, yeah, I think you have like Sam Harris obviously became an IDW guy. Uh, Daniel Dennett, as far as I can tell, just came back to just like sort of went back to be a quiet philosophy nerd. Um, you know, Richard Dawkins, I guess, is probably the one who's still saying the stuff that's, you know, like, like, you know, closest to his old areas of emphasis, but he's also just this kind of like strange old man on Twitter. And, you know, and, and Hitchens is is dead. But I also think like a big chunk of the ground troops of new atheism for the late 2000s have actually just become, um, you know, have actually become, you know, whatever, like at least like sort of decent social democratic leftists, you know, in, in the mm. time since then. Again, at least anecdotally, mm. I, I, I see a whole lot of that, you know, that the uh, and in fact, many people who who went through all of that now have sort of strange mixed feelings about that or are completely sure what they think about it, you know, uh, lo- looking back on it. But, you know, but I think it was just going to go in a lot of different directions because it didn't make sense for everybody to kind of stay together in that in that mold. And And I guess the last thing I would say is just I one thing that I was doing, you know, part of why I was interested in writing this book in the first place is that I've always found the religion and atheism stuff a fascinating subject. And I wanted to like work out some of what I thought about it. And mm. I think that 99% of what I said in the book, I still think now, but I think that even in the like year or whatever, you know, since, since, since I wrote it, like I have kept thinking about it and, and my feelings are maybe very slightly more mixed now in just this way which is that I still think, look, do I, who do I see as more of an ally, you know, Cornell West or, you know, other progressive Christians, you know, my wife, right. You know, people like that, you know, or, um, or like some like atheist libertarian who, you know, the the amazing atheist. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, um, I mean, clearly the former, right. And, and I, I want, people to be clear on that i think it's i think it's i think the idea that it's like this huge political imperative to like get everybody to agree with you about like metaphysics is doesn't still doesn't make sense to me but i will say i think that my long-standing view and the one that is still kind of reflected in the book was that i would say all that stuff that i just said and but then i would say look i'm you know at bottom right i mean like beyond anything else i'm i'm a huge philosophy nerd so like obviously i enjoy arguing about this stuff mm-hmm. i just i just wanted you know i i just want to be very clear that nobody you know like thinks that i see that as like integrated into a political project in a way that i don't mm-hmm. uh which is you know i mean i've at this point you know whatever i've done like a couple debates about it or like in the charlie kirk debate there was like a little chunk where we started talking about that and like i always start with qualifications like mm-hmm. I just did, and I probably always will, because I think that's like a politically useful thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I guess I do think that beyond just the fact that arguing about philosophy is fun, that there is some legitimate role to be played. Like there is some like functional utility to to doing some sort of public atheism. And the way that I've increasingly see that is just this. Not that 
you know, you should like make people atheists because then they'll agree with you about politics. But that, look, this might be old hat to us, but they're cre- you know they're making new human beings all the time. You know that they're, they're they're you know new ones are dropping every day, and um, and it's still going to be interesting to them, right? I mean, like especially people who grow up in religious backgrounds and and uh, and start to have their doubts about that stuff and mm-hmm. might. Uh, I, I think having somebody sort of art, you know, articulating their thoughts and, and kind of reassuring them that like the right to have these doubts and, uh, and, you know, especially like, you know, people in those circumstances might start, you know, like if they've been taught their entire life that, you know, religion is inextricably linked to morality. Right. If, if I, if, if I have trouble taking this, the metaphysics seriously now, does that mean I'm a bad person? You know, I, I think, I think there are, useful roles that can be played by a certain kind of public atheism. I just think that like a better version would be one that, you know, steered people clear of the idea that, you know, they should sort of see allies and enemies in the larger world, primarily on the basis of like who thinks what about, about metaphysics, right? I mean, I think there's gotta be a way. I hope there's a way to do public atheism that encourages people, you know, like sort of emphasizes the, the like, you know, intellectual rigor and like discourages people from being weird assholes about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it sounds like you have a very complicated uh, set of justifications for it still being invested in the new atheist uh, yeah. project and, and Christopher Hitchens. And uh, I agree with most of what you said. And, you know, I, I, I certainly would agree that, you know, a lot creating the space for people to be atheists, um, and, you know, having those books out there mm-hmm. is a, a good thing. Uh, and uh, people should read Hitchens um, and probably even Sam Harris. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, but at least some of what he wrote. But um, I wanted to uh, uh, get back and we're running out of time. So uh, but I wanted sure. to ask you about being on Rogan a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, please. OK. And um, uh, and also about. Your book, Canceling Comedians While the World mm-hmm. Burns, which is the actual title, not I Hate the Left and Fuck You All, um, or whatever I said it was at the beginning of this. Um, uh, but when, from what I saw, I mean, I did not watch all three hours or two hours and 58 minutes or whatever it was of the Rogan interview. Uh, you're exaggerating. It was two hours and 48 minutes. Okay. All right. All right. It was two hours and 48 minutes. What? I did not watch it all, but I did skim through it. I, I watched bits of it, you know, uh, and I like flipped around through it. Yeah, and it did not seem to me that, despite the fact that you and Rogan got along, mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, you didn't have any major visible disagreements, that it did not seem to me that Rogan really took up your perspective or your arguments about why the cancellations of comedians was going on, or what mm-hmm. what it was symptomatic of, or um, it seemed like there was a fundamental difference of opinion between you and Rogan. And I, uh, Rogan seemed to me to think that, you know, a large part of what's going on is people are being shitty. Uh, and that a lot of people who are on the left and just enjoy being kind of assholes and, uh, you know, they're virtue signaling for the sake of virtue signaling and that they're not about anything else. And, you know, I think a, a certain perspective, I mean, he's very gentle guy, actually really likable guy, but I think, mm-hmm. A certain sort of simplistic anti-woke perspective is there with Rogan, especially now, maybe. Mm-hmm. And your attempts to make him 
see this as a product of political impotence and a product of uh, a left that is struggling to find a purchase that that mm-hmm. seems necessary right now um, seemed to me to be not entirely wasted, but sort of missed, like he didn't even hear it or something. Well, look, I mean, I think that this is stuff that he has been um, like thinking about for a very long time, right? Like, like this is, I mean, like we're, you know, we just came out of, or I don't know, whatever, maybe we're still in it. I'm not quite sure, but like we had like a month of Rogan discourse uh, that was, which is like amazing by the way, because like, this is like something that like, if you had written it in like a science fiction short story, it would have just seemed like heavy handed to, to make it this extreme. Right. You know, that like we had weeks where the news cycle was primarily about Joe Rogan, even though the United States and Russia were closer to the brink of war than they've been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the we were, well, we're on the brink of, and now we're having, you know, the largest war in Europe since World War II. Uh, so, uh, so he's been, you know, he has been at the center of a lot of sort of culture war firestorms and has been for a long time. I mean, in the book, I talk about like uh, a controversy about Rogan that was, you know, whatever that was, that was like two years ago, a little over two years ago. Mm. Uh, So it's not exactly new ground for him. And I wouldn't necessarily expect, I mean, obviously it would be nice if every time I gave somebody my analysis, they were like, aha, right now I get it. Right. Like I, Mm. I understand everything clearly now because you've given me the right, you know, analytical tools to, to get that. I mean, a lot of times, unfortunately, people just be like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know, you know, but like, here's what I think, right? You know, like, right, uh, right. which, you know, which I think, unfortunately, might be more realistic. I think that the, I think it's useful to say that stuff uh, because not necessarily because he's going to be like immediately on board first conversation that like he'll see things the way that I do. Mm-hmm. Although I actually do not think it's impossible that there could be, you know, future conversations and, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I think that whatever criticisms you have of Joe Rogan, like I think being like ideologically inflexible, right. You know, is, is, is you know, oh, certainly not it, one of them. No, but what, what do you but, think explains the Joe Rogan month that we just had? What, why did the left want to focus on, Rogan yeah, for that so, longer was it the left was it just the mainstream so uh, it was it was the left to an extent and i'm gonna be um like i think the stupidest way to have this conversation would be to make it about personality so i'm going to try to avoid doing that you know but like i i do think that there's a general phenomenon that happens here that is that is linked to what i say in the book and like some of what i said about in the book in my conversation with him which is that there's so little of a left, right? Like it's not, I mean, there is a sense in which the left, um, you know, at the, at the risk of sounding like people that I've, I've sometimes been irritated by in the past. Right. Uh, there, there's I a sense. Of, thinking of. I, I, the left I, is I, dead. I, the left I, is dead. I, I, Long live the left. There's Go a ahead. sense in which it almost doesn't exist. Right. Like that there's mm-hmm. the, that, you know, by historical standards, uh, and you don't have to go back to like 1918 or whatever, you know, like, like you, you could just say like by the standards of like, certainly like Britain in like, you know, like Britain in the eighties say, right. Like mm-hmm. that, that, that's a time and place where, you know, nobody was on the brink of a socialist revolution or anything. 
right? There was certainly no mass, you know, crazy radical level of consciousness, but there was, I think, a well-defined, very real left in a way that even in Britain now there probably isn't, and there for damn sure isn't right now in the United States, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is to say that there was something that was organically connected with uh, a significant organized chunk of the working class and its concerns uh, that understood itself in terms of, you know, socialist, um, you know, certainly at least sensibilities, you know? And so, you know, and if you think about, even though, again, it was like right into the eighties is a time when the left is like super duper on the defensive, right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's losing battle after battle, but like, like it just clearly exists in a way mm-hmm that I think it sort of does now that we have DSA, which again, I, I, I encourage people to join. I think it's not perfect, but I think it has value. Uh, but that's even now, right. I mean, like it's, it's uh, unfathomably larger than it was, but I mean, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure, um, you know, it would not be a large city, right. If, if it were, you know, if DSA were a city, uh, I think it's been shrinking lately too. Ben, the oh, DSA yeah, yeah, yeah. membership has been shrinking. Uh, you know, I, I okay. So, 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 so here, here, here's what I was going to say about it, right? Like, so mm-hmm. is just that the point is because what we mostly have now, what we're not entirely, not without exception, but we're mostly talking about, we talk about the left in the United States right now is some journalists, some academics, uh, you know, a hundred million or so podcasters and, um, uh, you know, I don't know, some, some publishers, you know, like that, they, uh, that, uh, all of, all of these, we're talking about a relatively small portion of the, you know, the population and, you know, a very small portion of the population overall, even if it's way bigger than it was in the recent past. And we're also talking about something that's, that's largely disconnected from race for work class organizations. So I think what that ends up meeting in practice is that, you know, because the left, often just doesn't feel like an independent player in day-to-day politics. Like in some ways, part of why I think the Bernie moment was so exciting was that in some, you know, however rudimentary and social democratic way that it started to feel like there was this separate, you know, uh, left identified Mm. player. Uh, But that's, I mean, even that opening, right. Is, is, you know, like things have changed a lot and not in a good way. And Mm. so I think that because the left doesn't feel like an independent player, I think a lot of people on the left just end up getting sucked in in practice to just like doing what everybody else does, which is like cheer for whatever their team is and the the red versus blue culture wars. And, you know, sure. Like leftists put like a leftist spin on it, but I mean, that's still basically what they're doing. And that's not always bad. I mean, if what we're arguing about is like, should trans people have rights that it's, it's good to, you know, to, to side with team blue on that. Right. But like, one thing it does mean, though, is that people end up approaching politics primarily from a perspective, not of like, look, I have socialist values, I have a materialist analysis of the world around me, and I'm going to like work, I'm going to like go forward from that start of those starting points. But mm-hmm. instead from here are the people that I most hate, I really need to own them. And I'm going to work backwards from that. And mm-hmm. I think there's a tremendous amount of that in like, you know, the the online left, which if we're going to be honest about it, right, you know, the the distinction between the online left and just the left, right, is is not as 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 sharp as we might like to believe, right? Mm, right. So uh, the so I think that people end up getting sucked into like just whatever the liberal narrative is 
into culture wars this week, whether it really quite makes sense if you were starting, you know, from your politics and working forward rather than the other way around. So uh, is, uh, does, you know, Joe Rogan, you know, being, you know, like being wrong about aspects of, of, um, of, of COVID, you know, which, which I certainly think kind of said, you know, that, that he is like uh, that. So you say, Oh, aha. See, therefore, this sort of like people getting mad at Rogan or like maybe one in Spotify to kick Rogan off even or whatever, like that's a, um, you know, that's going to help. This is a life or death issue. Cause that's going to, that, that's, that's going to stop the, the, you know, the spread of, you know, do something significant, stop the spread of COVID. Yeah. 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 You know, which, which I think, you know, we could, you know, we could get into like the empirical nitty gritty. I'm not persuaded by well, the I mean, actual matter, but like also like, you know, whether that's true or not. Right. I, I why think, is that the left's job? Exactly. Right? Like, like <laughs> right, why well, is that the thing that like we're focused on? Is is that I, right? It's, last I remember, I'm not getting a paycheck from Dr. Fauci or, or the World Health Organization. I mean, like yeah. uh, my job is not to mitigate the the COVID crisis as a member of the left. Like, sure. I mean, I, I don't want to make it worse. Yeah, I, yeah, right. I mean, but, look, but, but, somebody, but let me, somebody let, should be mitigated the COVID crisis, but I mean, yeah. that's not really the mission statement of the left as a political force, right? Right, you know, right, they, yeah. You know, like, right, I, right. I want to, I mean, I look, I mean, I think after, you know, uh, I mean, I disagree with 99% of what the what happened after 9-11, but like, you know, was preventing further terrorist attacks with police work and et cetera something someone somewhere should do? Yeah. Right, like, like that. that yeah, absolutely. Been, yeah, you know, but, right, right, was, exactly. was was it what the left should have focused on? Certainly, you know, certainly time, not. We could we could have included in that particular case. We could have said, look, going to war in Iraq is going to make our chances of being attacked by terrorists sure. greater, rather than you know. Yeah, that's I, mean, I would say that kind of thing. Make those arguments, but yeah, yeah, I did, I, I did. But okay, here's the thing yeah. I wanted to get at with Rogan and all of this yeah. is that I think, like, okay, as my as, as a content producer, yep, as an online leftist, yep. I have not talked about Rogan mm-hmm. since I moved over to the new channel. This will be the first time Rogan's come up. Yep. Um, but I also didn't talk about what was going on in Ukraine. Uh-huh. I mean, I have a podcast on that now. It will be coming out soon that yep. I recorded already. But um, uh, and I, uh, what I was doing was sort of trying to reassess after the failure. That still two years out, still reassessing what happened after the Bernie campaign yep. and and um thinking about the, the history of socialism and frankly, mm-hmm. you know, just dealing with the, the, the calamity that hit my own yeah. career and channel. But, um, but it seems like uh, one of the problems I had with doing anything about Rogan was yeah. that I didn't have a choice as to how I could approach it. Uh-huh. I had to either say yay Rogan or uh-huh. nay Rogan. Right. <laughs> Ultimately. Yeah. And and um, if I given that choice, I would have had to have said, "Yay, Rogan!" Sure, rather but, but, than but that's, Rogan. but that's not what you want to spend your time doing, right? Exactly. No, yeah. I think I think that's totally fair. But this is something I struggle with all the time. Um, I mean, not like you know, if I known it would get me on Rogan's show, <laughs> I would have said, "Yay, Rogan!" for months. But you know, well, I didn't well, know. Well, tr- well, trust me when I said that that was uh, the interventions that I have made on the Rogan issue that 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 was never a thought that entered my head. Right. I think that the, I think that, um, not that it would have been illegitimate if it had just didn't, right. You know, like, right. like but, but did, like, it, like, did, like, that, did that play into why you got invited on? Do you think? Um, uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, uh, it's actually, 
sorry, I was just pausing for a second to think if I should say this in public. I think it's fine, right? That they so 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 there's somebody. I know for a fact at this point that there's somebody who um, who works for him who is interested in things that are somewhat adjacent to what we do. Who's like a fan of like Mark Fisher and stuff like that. But um, mm-hmm. and it's not out of the question that that guy could have said something about my book. Um, I. I think there are actually like a few different possible pathways to how this mm. could have happened. I don't know. I mean, I, I have all I know is, I, I mean, it's, you know, like Dave Smith, uh, somebody who obviously I really disagree with. He's a libertarian, but like I've, I've, you know, you debated him. Yeah. I've, you have I've a deb- relationship with him. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. debated him, but I also have a good relationship with him. Right. You know, he's, he's a, he's a, um, He's like my fourth most problematic friend, or something like that, you know. But the, uh, but uh, where am I on that list, by the way? Like, <laughs> okay, uh, you're you're at least like the eighth or ninth most problematic friend of mine. But the God uh, damn it, I got to get higher up on the list, you know. Uh, but, but 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 I think, uh, yeah. But I mean, come on, like I know Thaddeus Russell, I and mean, like like you know, I I, I know I know too uh, many problematic people ahead of me. Um, you know, but but I, but I was just gonna say, right? Like, uh, so it's possible, you know. I, I did, I did write this article for the Daily Beast about the, you know, online censorship issue that's coming up around Rogan. It's possible that that was part of it. It's, it's possible that he saw me on, you know, Crystal and Kyle. I, I have no idea. Like the initial message that I, I got, you know, from, um, you know, from somebody who worked for him, was just like, hey, how, you know, how would you feel about coming on the Joe Rogan Experience to, to talk about your book, Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. And um, whatever else is true about like how like I pinged on the radar in the first place, I mean I'm sure the title of that book is the uh, is the main reason yeah, I was, well, I was sure. ultimately invited, right? You know, yeah, but right, but right. I, but I was just gonna because um, you know, obviously if there's one person that title would speak to in the world, right? It's got to be him. But uh, right, right. But but I mean I wasn't. I mean it's funny because like I know of course our our late Fred Michael. Uh, I was really, going to ask you. This is what I want to ask you about. Is yeah. What were you surprised? to know that Rogan knew Michael Brooks and had followed his career and had opinions about Michael Brooks. Cause that's something that came up in the, in the interview. Uh, yeah, it was, I was a little right. Like, like I know, um, like there was a, just a little bit of prior evidence that like, he sort of vaguely knew who that was, uh, that, you know, he'd like mentioned him on air, like in passing once, but like he also got his name wrong. Uh, that, you know, I think he called him Michael Roberts, but, mm-hmm. uh, and then he like tweeted to apologize for that. Right. But that, that's the mm-hmm. only previous sign that like mm-hmm. he had any idea who that was, but I was actually pleasantly surprised by that because, um, because like part of what, again, I, unlike Michael, right. Who is somebody who did not suffer from like doubts about whether things that he would want to happen would happen. Right. You know, they, uh, like it never even occurred to me as a possibility that I've been invited on Rogan. Like that, that just that would have just seemed ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you even like brought it up once in like a in like a meeting about the book. I was like, yeah, okay, make that happen, go for it, you know. But like, uh, but I did I mean, on, about canceling comedians, particularly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, yeah, you did, you did bring it up at one point, and of course, I wasn't going to be like, no, but I also did take it seriously. And we did so, send him an email, I think, at one point. Oh, so maybe, maybe it was like you know, maybe like a year later or whatever. You know, they, uh, they you know, somebody. I'm going to take credit for it. We got you on Rogan. That's nice. Us. Uh, and the but, people who work in zero books now, they didn't do shit for you. But I got you on go. Rogan. You, go. you remember you that? There you go. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I think, um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, when I got 
when I got that initial message, you know, well, my first reaction was to Google the the rogue JRE employee who'd sent me the message because my first thought was it was an elaborate prank. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then once I'd done that and I was convinced it was real, I like took my laptop over to my wife and she said I looked so shocked she was gonna ask who died, you know, like what <laughs> right, like, right, right. like that just you know seemed unreal to me. But one thing that did make it a little bittersweet is that uh, I know Michael really wanted to go on, like like he he'd said so privately and publicly, you know, many times. Mm-hmm. And and I also know, like I think I did okay. I think he would have killed it. Like I could, he would have just done great. Yeah, I mean, how how, how good? I, I hate and look. I don't want to like knock sure. you here, but watching it, I, w- I did think to myself, Michael would just be no, of course, chewing this place up. He would just be, you know, he would have been. Michael would have gone on Joe Rogan, and he would have become a regular on Joe Rogan, and he would have totally. blown up. You know, yeah. No, I, I don't have the slightest doubt about that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that because I think it's an environment that like, you know, I could do OK. in. I mean, like like for for, a, you know, like for being like a leftist intellectual weirdo, like 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 I'm probably on the bro end of the leftist intellectual weirdo spectrum, you know, like like mm-hmm. but uh, uh, but I, you know, and, and I. I think I'm, I think there are a variety of things. Michael towards. Brooks had trained his whole career. To to leapfrog off of Joe Rogan to greater fame than Joe Rogan could ever know. Yeah, yeah. That's so, what I'll say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like I had uh so because that had been in my mind a lot, you know, the the like week and a half or whatever between the invitation actually going on, I, I had um I was very pleasantly surprised by that. Like I did not think that he was as much on his radar as he turned out to be. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just like, okay, you know we're talking about your dead friend. So I'm going to like say something nice just to, you know, just, just to like be a nice guy or whatever, like, you know, but I don't know. Really, I don't really know who that is. Like there was like a good minute of him talking about Michael that made it clear that he'd like watched, he'd like yeah. watched enough of his work to really know what he was talking about. I don't know if he even knew you were his friend when he, you brought it up, you brought Michael Brooks name up, I think, but he knew who he was. It was clear. He thought he was funny. He thought he was good uh, as far as like, um, as a social critic and and a critic of uh, the right, and yeah, uh, it did make me sad too that it was um, not that it was you up there, but that it what it, that yeah. it wasn't going to lead to Michael being exactly. up there next. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Listen, we've been out talking for an hour and fifteen minutes. Um, I feel like this is uh, long enough. I'll re- release just this uh, mm-hmm. as a as a podcast. This will be the um, Joe Rogan debrief. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a subtitle, uh, why we should all be Hitchin style atheists or something like that. <laughs> um, but you should come back on now that you're be- you've been on Rogan. There's a very good chance mm-hmm. that you're gonna I don't know get a movie deal or you're gonna write a book like 15 Rules for Dweebs or something, and you'll yeah. be the biggest thing since sliced bread. Uh, Barry Weiss yeah. is gonna uh, adopt you as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what will happen next. <laughs> So, oh, that'd be that'd be an interesting twist. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. you know, I I think it's so. Sick. What I'm saying is, don't forget me. Like, sure, you know, sure, sure. No, you I, gotta I will, come back. I will, here. I will endeavor to always keep you at least as much in my thoughts as as my uh, new McCarthyite mother, Jerry Weiss. Oh, great. Well, thanks a lot. All right. 